0: I want to make sure you guys understand this family that uh, this thing that we're doing here is not planned. I don't have a sermon. I don't have anything really planned. I'm simply spending time in his word. So essentially what you're doing is you're eavesdropping in my You know, you know, you're you're eavesdropping in my time um, that I spend often in reflection of God's word. And so I want you to reflect God's word along with me. Thank you so much. NYC lady Um, reflecting in that time along with me. And that's what we're here to do. That's what we're here to engage in. Um, The Facebook is running. I don't know. um, The Facebook is running. So um, I'm not sure. I have some people on right now, so check, double check again, okay? Uh, but we have people from all around the world to spend time in the reading of the word, and that's what we're gonna do. And then we're gonna see where the Lord leads. Today's gonna be a little bit different because I want to, uh, we're gonna close out the chapter, uh, uh, close out the book of Numbers, and then we are going to spend uh, time in prayer as well. So I wanna spend time in prayer for you, uh, I wanna pray with you. Um, And so that's something I want to do at the end of our time here today. Um, But for those of you who are here for the first time, we have done this now for the past few months. We've gone through the entire book. uh, We've gone through the entire New Testament. And now we're going to read through the entire Old Testament. Okay. We're now reading through the entire Old Testament. Fires. You're going to make me go and check it out now. Jordan St. Cyr. Is he Haitian? St. Cyr is a Haitian last name. St. Cyr is a Haitian last name. So I'm curious to know that. Um, Theo says, <laughs> I know exactly what Theo's saying. Theo goes, <sighs> that's Theo. <laughs> that's what Theo says. Uh, no idea, but it's really good. Okay, that's awesome. I want to check it out. Fires. By Jordan St. C. Okay, I'm logged that in. Fires by Jordan St. i I'm definitely gonna check that out. Okay, guys, let's get right to it. Numbers 33. I'm gonna read. I would like to uh, encourage you guys to read along with me. Okay, um, to read along with me. And afterwards, we'll spend some time in the reflection of the word. And so um, let's do it. Let's get right to it. Let's not belabor the time. Numbers 33, verse 1 these are the journeys of the children of israel who went out of the land of egypt by their armies under the hand of moses and aaron now moses wrote down the starting points of their journeys at the command of the lord and these are their journeys according to their starting points they departed from Ramses in the first month on the 15th day of the first month on the day after the passover of the children of israel went out with boldness in the sight of the Egyptians. For the Egyptians were burying all their firstborn, whom the Lord had killed among them. Also, on their gods, the Lord had executed judgments. Then the children of Israel moved from Ramses and encamped at Succoth. They departed from Succoth and encamped at Etham, which is on the edge of the wilderness. They moved from Etham back to P, or pi Hiheroth which is east of Baal-Sephon. And they encamped near Migdal. They departed from before Hacharoth and passed through the midst of the sea into the wilderness. They went three days, in, three days journey in the wilderness of Etham and camped at Mara. They moved from Mara and, and camped to Elam. At Elam were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees. So they camped there. They moved from Elam and camped by the Red Sea. Then they moved from the Red Sea and camped in the wilderness of Sin. They journeyed from the wilderness of Sin and camped in Dafka. They departed from Dafka, and camped at Alush. They moved from Alush and camped at Rephidim, where there was no water for the people to drink. They departed from Rephidim and camped in the wilderness of Sinai. They moved from the wilderness of Sinai and camped at Kibroth-Hatava. They departed from Kibroth-Hatava and camped at Hazaroth. They departed from Hazaroth and camped at Rithma. They departed from Rithma and camped at Rimon-Perez. They departed from Rimon-Perez and camped at Libna. They moved from Libna and camped at Risa. They journeyed from Risa and camped at Kala... Wow... Kehelathoth. They went from Kehelathoth and camped at Mount Shepher or Shepher. They moved from Mount Shepher and camped at Harada. They moved from Harada and camped at Mikaloth. They moved from Mikaloth and camped at Tahath. They departed from Tahath and camped at Terra. They moved from Terra and camped at Mithka. They went from Mithka and camped at Heshmonah. They departed from Heshmonah and camped at Moseroth. They departed from Moseroth and camped at Bene Jahan. They moved from Bene Jahan and camped at Hor Hagigdad. They went They went from Hor Hagdad, Hag, Hagigdad and camped at Jothbatha. They moved from Jothbatha and camped at Habronah. They departed from Habronah. And camped at Ezion-Geber. They moved from Ezion-Geber and camped in the wilderness of Zin, which is Kadesh. They moved from Kadesh and camped at Mount Hor on the boundary of Edom. Then Aaron the priest went up from Mount Hor at the command of the Lord and died there in the 40th year after the children of Israel had come out of the land of Egypt. On the first day of the fifth month, Aaron was 123 years old when he died on Mount Hor. Now the king of Arad, the Canaanite, who dwelt in the south, in the land of Canaan, heard of the coming of the children of Israel. So they departed from Mount Hor and encamped in Zalmona. They departed from Zalmona and camped in Penon. They departed from Panan and camped in Abath. They departed from Abath. And camped in Aji Abiram at the border of Moab. They departed from Ajim and, de- and camped at Dibon Gad. They departed from Dibon Gad and camped at Almon Diblathaim. They moved from Almon Diblathaim and camped in the mountains of Abiram before Nebo. They departed from the mountains of Abiram and camped in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho. They camped by the Jordan from Beth Jesimoth, as far as Abel Acacia Grove in the plains of Moab. Now the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when you have crossed the Jordan into the land of Canaan, you shall drive out the inhabitants of the land before you, destroy all their engraved stones destroy all their molded images and demolish all their high places. You shall dispossess the inhabitants of, of the land and dwell in it. For I have given you the land to possess. You shall divide the land by lot as an inheritance among your families. To the large you shall give a larger inheritance to the smaller. You shall give a smaller inheritance. There's every, there's everyone's inheritance, sorry. There everyone's inheritance shall be whatever falls to him by lot. You shall inherit according. Um, sorry. You shall inherit according to the tribes of your fathers. But if you do not drive the inhabitants of the land before you, then it shall be that those whom you let remain, they shall be irritants in your eyes, thorns in your sides, and they shall harass you in the land where you dwell. Moreover, it shall be that I will do to you, as I thought to do, to them. Goodness gracious. Chapter 34, so let me switch. Verse one, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, command the children of Israel and say to them, when you come out of the land of Canaan, this is the land that shall fall to you as an inheritance, the land of Canaan to its boundaries. Your southern border shall be from the wilderness of Zin along the border of Edom. Then your southern border shall extend eastward to the end of the salt sea. Your border shall turn from the southern side of the ascent of Akibram, uh, sorry Akrabim, according to Zin, and be on the south of Kadesh Barnea. Then it shall go on to Hazar Adar and continue to Asmon. The border shall turn from Asmon to the brook of Egypt, and it shall end at the sea. As for the western border... You shall have a great sea for the border. This shall be your Western border. And this shall be your Northern border from the great sea. You shall mark out your border line to Mount Hor. From Mount Hor, you shall mark out your border to the entrance of Hamath. Then the direction of the border shall be towards Zadad. The border shall proceed in Ziphron and it shall end in Hazar Anan. This shall be your Northern border. You shall mark out your eastern border from Hazar Anan to Safam. The border shall go down from Safam to Riblah, on the east side of Aim. The border shall go down and reach to the eastern side of the Sea of Shinareth. The border shall go down along the Jordan, and it shall end at the Salt Sea. This shall be your land with its surrounding boundaries. Then Moses commanded the children of Israel, saying, this is the land which you shall inherit by lot, which the Lord has commanded to give to the nine tribes and to the half tribe. For the tribe of the children of Reuben, according to their house of their fathers and the tribe of Gad, according to their house of their fathers, have received their inheritance. And the half tribe of Manasseh has received its inheritance. The two tribes of the, the two tribes and the half tribe have received their inheritance on this side of the Jordan. Across from Jericho, eastward toward the sunrise. Hmm. Verse 16 And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, These are the names of the men who shall divide the land among you as an inheritance Eliezer the priest, and Joshua the son of Nun. You shall take one leader of every tribe and divide the land for the inheritance. These are the names of the men from the tribe of Judah, Caleb the son of Jephunneh, from the tribe of the children of Simeon, Shemuel, the son of Amihud, from the tribe of Benjamin, Eladad, the son of Chislon, a leader from the tribe of the children of Dan, Buki, the son of Jogli, from the sons of Joseph, a leader from the tribe of the children of Manasseh, Hanael the son of Ephod, and a leader of the tribe of the children of Ephraim, Kemuel the son of Jephthah, Shajiptan, a leader from the tribe of the children of Zebulon, Elizaphon, the son of Parnak, a leader from the tribe of the children of Issachar, Paltiel, the son of Azan, a leader from the tribe of the children of Asher, Ahihud, the son of Shalomi, and a leader of the tribe of the children of Naphtali, Pedahel, the son of Amihud. These are the ones the Lord commanded to divide the inheritance among the children of Israel in the land of Canaan. And the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho, saying, Command the children of Israel to give the Levites Levites cities to dwell in from the inheritance of their possession. You shall also give the Levites common land around the cities. These shall be. Uh, These they shall have the cities to dwell in and the common land shall be for their cattle for their herds and for their animals The common land of the cities which you will give the Levites shall extend from the wall of the city outward of of thousands of cubits all around Sorry outward a thousand cubits all around and you shall measure outside the city on the east two thousand cubits on the south side 2,000 cubits on the west side, 2000 cubits and on the north side, 2000 cubits, the city shall be in the middle. This shall become to them a common land for the cities. Now among the cities, which you give to Levite, you shall appoint six cities of refuge to which a manslayer may flee to these. You shall add 42 cities. So all the cities you will give to the Levites shall be 48. These you shall give with their common land and the cities which you will give shall be from the possession of the children of Israel. From the larger tribe, you shall give many from the smaller you shall give few. Each shall give the each shall give some of its cities to the Levites in proportion to the inheritance that each receives. Verse nine. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan, you shall appoint cities to be cities of refuge for you, that a manslayer who kills any person accidentally may flee there. They shall be called cities of refuge for you from the avenger, that the manslayer may not die until he stands before the congregation in judgment. And of the cities which you give, you shall have six cities of refuge. You shall appoint three cities on this side of the Jordan and three cities you shall appoint in the land of Canaan, which will be cities of refuge. These six cities shall be for refuge for the children of Israel, for the stranger, for the sojourner among them, that anyone who kills a person accidentally may flee there. But if he strikes him with an iron implement, so that he dies. He is a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. And if he strikes him with a stone in the hand by which one could die, and he does not die, he is a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. Or if he strikes him with a wooden hand weapon by which he could die, and he does die, he is a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. The avenger of blood himself shall put the murderer to death." When he meets him, he shall put him to death. If he pushes him out of out of hatred, or while lying in wait, hurls something at him so that he dies, or in enmity he strikes him with his hand so that he dies, the one who struck him shall surely be put to death. He is a murderer. The avenger of blood shall put the murderer to death when he meets him. However, if he pushes him suddenly without enmity and throws anything at him without lying in wait or uses a stone by which a man could die, throwing it at him without seeing him so that he dies while he is not his enemy or seeking his harm. Then the congregation shall judge between the manslayer and the avenger of blood, according to these judgments. So the congregation shall deliver the manslayer from the hand of the avenger, from the hand of the avenger of blood. And the congregation shall return him to the city of refuge where he had fled. And he shall remain there until death of the high priest who was anointed with holy oil. Hmm. But if the manslayer at any time goes outside the limits of the city of refuge where he fled, and the avenger of blood finds him outside the limits of his city of refuge, the avenger of blood kills the manslayer. He shall not be guilty of blood, because he should have remained in his city of refuge until death, until the death of the high priest. But after the death of the high priest, the manslayer may return to the land of his possession. And these things shall be a statute of judgment to you throughout the generations in your dwellings. Whoever kills a person, the murderer shall be put to death on the testimony of the witness. But one witness is not sufficient testimony against a person for the death penalty. Moreover, you shall take no ransom for the life of a murderer who is guilty of death, but he shall surely be put to death. You shall take no ransom for him who has fled to his city of refuge, that he may return to dwell in the land before the death of the priest. So, you shall not pollute the land where you are for blood defiles the land and no atonement can be made for the land for the blood that is shed on it except by the blood of him who shed it therefore do not defile the land which you inhabit in the midst which I dwell for I the Lord dwell among the children of Israel hmm Numbers 36. Now the chief fathers of the families of the children of Gilead, the sons of Machir, the son of Manasseh, of the family of the sons of Joseph, came near and spoke before Moses and before the leaders, the chief fathers of the children of Israel. And they said, The Lord commanded my Lord Moses to give the land as an inheritance by lot to the children of Israel. And my Lord was commanded by the Lord to give the inheritance of our brother Zelophehad, To his sisters. Now, if they are married to any of the sons of the other tribes of the children of Israel, then their inheritance will be taken from the inheritance of our fathers, and it will be added to the inheritance of the tribe into which they marry. So it will be taken from the lot of our inheritance. And when the Jubilee of the children of Israel comes, then their inheritance will be added to the inheritance of the tribe into which they marry. So their inheritance will be taken away from the inheritance of the tribe of the fathers. Then Moses commanded the children of Israel, according to the word of the Lord, saying, What the tribe of the sons of Joseph speaks is right. This is what the Lord commands concerning the daughters of Zelophehad, saying, Let them marry whom they think best, but they may marry only within the family of their father's tribe. So the inheritance of the children of Israel shall not change hands from tribe to tribe. For every one of the children of Israel shall keep the inheritance of the tribe of their fathers. And every daughter who possesses an inheritance in any tribe of the children of Israel shall be the wife of one of the family of her father's tribe, so that the children of Israel may possess the inheritance of his father. Thus, no inheritance shall change hands from one tribe to another. But every tribe of the children of Israel shall keep its own inheritance. Just as the Lord commanded Moses, so did the daughters of Zelophehad. from Malah, Terzah, Haglah, Milcah, and Noah, the daughters of Zelophehad, were married to the sons of their father's brothers. They were married into families of children of Manasseh, the son of Joseph. And their inheritance remained in the tribe of their father's brothers family. These are the commandments and the judgments which the Lord commanded the children of Israel by the hand of Moses in the plains of Moab, by the Jordan, across the Jericho, across from Jericho. (sighs) The word of the living God. We thank you for this word, Lord. Thank you for this time that you've brought us together. Um, Speak to us in this time. And we ask that in your name, we pray. Amen. It's good to see you, Ellison. Good to see you, Izzy. Good to see you, Theo. Good to see everybody here. Good to see the whole family here. Good to see you all. We've now brought our IG family into the mix as well. So we've got a whole community of people right now from all around the world who are coming together and are engaged in the reading of the word. If you are here, and maybe you caught part of what we were doing here, you have been given the opportunity to eavesdrop into what I would call a meditational reading. And what we do in this time that we spend together is, is we essentially just spend time in reading the scripture. We read through the scripture and we're reading through larger portions of text. We're devoting 20 to 30 minutes every day to the reading of scripture. That's, that's our, that's our commitment. Our commitment is to read the word. That's my priority here. And then afterwards, I just spend some time reflecting on what the Lord is speaking to me today as I read the word. Because the word uh, is intended to discern our thoughts and our intentions. That's what it tells us in Hebrews chapter 4. That the word itself discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And so I'm always seeking to hear what God is saying concerning me. Uh, what is God saying concerning people? What is God revealing concerning himself? These are things that I'm seeking as I'm reading the word. This is how we posture ourselves to meditate or on the scriptures. We ought not to simply study the scriptures, but we ought to meditate this on the scriptures. Um, it's not semantics. There is a distinction between the two, between studying the scripture and meditating on the scripture. Remember those who study the scripture and while it is important to study the scripture, the study of scripture is a highly intellectual activity. Studying the scripture is uh, is the is prioritizes the use of the intellect prioritizes the use of your mind, prioritizes your understanding, your, ab- your ability to reason through the scriptures. That's good and all, but that's not what we're here to do specifically, but rather to discern the scriptures, not through our intellectual capacity and through our intellectual facilities, but that we're discerning the scripture with our heart. Let me say it for my, my, my two sons to understand. When we read the Bible, Ellison and Izzy, When we read the Bible, it's more important for us to read the Bible with our heart because the Bible is spiritual food. Because the Bible is spiritual food, we ought to treat it as such. It's not simply there to inform us, but the Bible is here to edify us, that is to feed us. And so sometimes, um, and I say this because I've got my two boys who are watching um, as well the the scriptures um make simple the wise does anybody understand that um so and so and so and make the wise simple so therefore the Bible is not meant for those who have higher levels of intellectual facility the Bible isn't meant for those who are intellectually superior for people who are smarter than other people that's not. That's not who the Bible is for. That those who are smarter than other people now are you know they 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 go through the scripture and then they tell you what the Bible says. That's actually not the the the, the that isn't the priority here, okay? The priority of the scripture is for every believer, even my little kids, even my two sons. Okay, one is 9 and the other one is 6, and yet I want them to read the scripture, why? Because simply the engagement and the activity of scripture transforms you. The scriptures tell us that his word is a living and active. It's breathing, it's breathing. Um, this word is a, the, the, the word of uh, inspire that, that all scripture is inspired by God. That word inspired. There's two parts of that word. It's in and spare, inspire to be inspired. Literally means spare to breathe in to breathe in. The word is breathing. It's breathing. It's breathing. Um, the way I like to think of it is is that if you if you have a spirit, then the word is the very breath. That's the lungs by which your spirit is breathing. So. If you understand it that way, then there are things that you're going to read that you do not understand, and yet it's still edifying you simply by reading. You're beginning to see you can begin to see transformation in your life. Sim says simply by reading the word, you can begin to see, you know, dimensions of your life changing and transforming There are those who are here who've done the read and rent with me right now for the past, who've been doing the read and rent? they're not only here today, but they've been doing the read and rent with me for the past few months and they've sent messages saying, mm, this has been a fundamentally transformative experience. This experience is transforming my life. Why? Because now you're beginning to see how you feed and you're beginning to learn how you feed your spirit. How you feed your spirit. And in the process, you're going to gain understanding along the way. Okay. I want to make sure you understand this because as I'm speaking today, I want to make sure you see that information without the breath of the spirit does not lead to transformation. The spirit must also be breathed into what you're being informed by. As a matter of fact, you need the breath and the information you need the breath preceding the information as a matter of fact th- think of it like this if if a voice speaks the breath must precede the voice right you cannot speak unless you expire breath you cannot expire breath unless there's a unless a word is being spoken therefore for you to receive a speaking word not just a logos but a rhema for you to receive a speaking word You have to seek the spirit of God. The spirit has to breathe through you. So that's that's my mini rant to tell you how important it is for you to engage in the reading of the word, even if you don't understand every part of it. Okay. now for your understanding, though, and I've said this, you can go back, check the other reading rants. You know, you can go back to the other reading rants and we've spoken about this. We're reading through the entire Bible because we want to read from the totality of the text. OK, we're going to read from the totality of the scripture. So that way, when we're reading a verse, we're reading a verse in light of the totality of the scripture. Does everybody, does everybody hear what I'm saying? When you read a Bible verse without having an without being exposed to the entire Bible, it will almost always lead to misinterpretation. Does anybody understand what I'm saying? When you read a verse, that's why it's dangerous to turn a Bible study to to, to engage in Bible study without being exposed to the whole Bible. Okay, it, it's hard to do that. I, I because because when you read a verse, you you you're, you may be reading it out of context. You may be misinterpreting it. I'll give you an example as we look in this reading here today. We talked about this yesterday, the prior chapter, right? When it talks about uh, the prior chapter that we talked about in yesterday's reading, right? I believe it was in chapter 33. Nope. It wasn't in 33. Hold on. I'll tell you where it was in chapter 32. There's a verse that has been used and I grew up in church and they use this verse. But they misappropriated this verse because it's not being read within the context of the to- total narrative. I'll give you, I'll give you the verse in Numbers chapter thirty-two, verse twenty-three. Hold on, me. Think I lost you. Okay, you guys are back. In Numbers chapter thirty-two, verse twenty-three, it says this: But if you do not do so, then take note: you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. I remember when I was a kid um this verse used to be iterated to me all the time they used to share it all the time um especially as a kid because you know you they tell you well you know if you sin it's going to eventually find you out that's how I was taught right if you sin whatever you did in secret it's going to event- you're going to eventually get caught um the analogy that was used was uh, when uh, a child had stolen a watermelon it's a parable it's a little you know it's a it's one of those parables that have been used in in, in folk culture and, and so um, a child is eating a watermelon and and he steals the watermelon he eats the watermelon and then he spits out the watermelon he eats it in the backyard and the mother comes to the child and asks the child did you eat the watermelon and the child lied lies to his mother and the child says to his mother um no, I did not eat the watermelon. So the man's like, okay, well, he didn't eat the watermelon. And then the story tells us later on, maybe, um, you know, after a certain period of time, right? After a certain period of time, all of a sudden watermelons began to grow in the backyard because he had spit out the seeds of the watermelon in the backyard. So eventually the sin of him lying to his parent and to his mother, eventually found him out. That's what was told. We were told that. Be sure your sin will find you out. And it's not to say that you you know your your sins don't eventually expose you, but um not all sin actually finds you out. <laughs> There's some sin you commit in private that never come out in public. <laughs> it's just the reality. I love that because we we, we scare people to thinking if you sin in private, eventually you're going to get caught. It's going to eventually get caught. So now why do we not sin? We don't sin because we don't want to get caught. Does anybody hear that? Okay. Um, and so, and so we, we, we need to, we need to revisit that. And I only say that because this is a verse that has been used over and over and over again. It's used like a, as a scare tactic. Yeah. It's used as a scare tactic Say, be sure your sin will find you out. This is the danger when you use a verse out of context, because in this verse, what he's speaking to, if you read the entire verse, and then if you read the verses before, it says, but if you do not do so, then take note, you have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out. What is the thing that if they do not do, that will be found out? Again, as I'm backing up, and I want you to understand this and family, I know this is gonna make some people uncomfortable and it might set some people free. Numbers 32 was not written to you. Okay? The book of Numbers was not written to you. When it says, but if you do not do so, it's not talking, he's not, he's not talking to you. <laughs> Be sure your sin will find you out. He's not talking to you. Okay? Who is he talking to? He's talking to, at the beginning of the chapter, in Numbers 32, he's talking to the children of Reuben and the children of Gad. We got to start there. He's talking to the children of Reuben and he's talking to the children of Gad. Okay. If you've been here, I'm going to sound like a broken record. But I'm going to say it over and over again, just for the person who's here for the first time. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Kings, First and Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Obadiah, Jonah. We, we, I, I'm going to give all the books in the Old Testament were not written to you. Okay. They were not written to you. They were written for you. They were actually written to the children of Israel. Okay, so if you're here for the first time, I want to make sure I emphasize that the Pentateuch, the five books that we read here, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all five of those books, every part of those books were not written to you. We read it as a story of a people a family of God on a journey in a relationship with God who are instituting the justice of God, the righteousness of God to show the world what God is like and to be shaped out into becoming a nation of priests. So therefore, if it's not written to you, then you cannot read verse 23 and go, be sure God is saying here in the text be sure, my sin will find me out. <gasps> oh no! I better not sin. I better not sin because if I if I sin, then I'll get caught. And if I'll get caught, something will happen. I don't know yet because I haven't read that part yet. But it will find me out. <gasps> Let me not get found out. You see what happens when you read the Bible out of its context, okay? But when you read it in its context, then you know that what what Moses was saying, as Moses said this to the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, that your sin will find you out if you do this, what? If you stay on this side of the Jordan and you don't cross the Jordan with us to fight for the land that God had promised the nation of Israel. And if you don't come across with us, then that will that is a sin and that sin will find you out. That sin will have its consequence. Remember what I closed out with yesterday is the importance, the importance, the profound importance of those who are on this side of the Jordan. That even though you've been given the privilege on this side of the Jordan to cross over to help those who still need to gain victory in their territories on that side of the Jordan. Manasseh, uh, the tribe of, of the half tribe of Manasseh, the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, they got the inheritance before everyone else. Their land was on this side of the Jordan. But there was still land to be subdued on that side of the Jordan. And so what what, what he was saying is is you don't get to stay on this side of the Jordan. And you won't be able to stay and keep the blessing of the land on this side of the Jordan if you do not cross over the Jordan with your fellow brothers and sisters to subdue the land on that side of the Jordan. You don't get to just simply just enjoy your privilege. You need to use your privilege as a blessing for those who are disenfranchised who have not yet received the blessing, who have not yet received their due inheritance. And I want you to notice something else as we read the book of Numbers. As we're reading the book of Numbers, notice that the inheritance was an equal division, that everybody started on the same playing field. Everybody started with the same amount of land. Some started a little bit ahead of the others, right? Reuben and Gad and half of Manasseh. But but, but the others, right, had not yet received it, but they in the end would all receive the same recompense. The larger families had larger portions of land. The smaller families, what we just read here, the smaller families got smaller portions of land. So all I'm saying is, and I'm going to get to my point today, and then we're going to spend some time in prayer. All I'm saying is family, is this is why this is important for us to, to read the whole text. Because then you won't let someone, this is why it's, this is why it protects you when you read the whole text, because. It protects you from when someone comes to you and says to you, the Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. The Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. Where in the Bible does it say that? It says that in Numbers 32 verse 23, and you can say, wasn't that written? by Moses to the children of Reuben and the children of Gad? This really speaks into the heart of uh, what I would call legalistic Western Christianity. I'm gonna say something that's going to sound Slightly provocative. I do say a lot of things that sound provocative. Western culture. Um, the lens of Western culture is through reason. Through logic. And because Western culture is shaped through reason and logic. Almost always Western culture Improperly and inappropriately read the Bible Those of us in the West that grew up in the West And Western culture has been um, Western culture has propagated all around the world now So Western culture has been exported almost all around the world Western thinking Has Imposed a way to read the scripture because we're reading the scripture through our experiential lens. If you want to understand what somebody is writing, then you have to read it through the lens of the person that wrote it. And you have to read it through the lens of the person that the person that wrote it is writing it to. That only makes sense, right? Like if if a if a Hebrew if a hebrew israelite man writes the text writes something to a bunch of hebrew israelite people can you see how reading it from a an american lens is going to lead to misinterpretation Can can you see that? Can you see how reading it from a Jamaican lens Is going to lead to misinterpretation? Can you see how even reading it through Our present cultural moment The lens of our present culture Can lead to misinterpretation? We exactly right Misappropriation We, We impose Our way of thinking on the scripture You need to learn how eastern people Saw the world You need to learn how eastern people interpreted words You need to know how eastern people Understood to actually understand What is actually being said In the text That's the unfortunate Thing when I see people when they Read and they say be sure your sin Will find you out and the moment they read it They read it from a legalistic Perspective Legalism is a Western construct. Legalism is a Western construct and it has been imposed into our Christianity because we've turned God into a legal judge, not a righteous judge. We make Christianity what to do and not to do. Right, we 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 make Christianity what we ought to do and not to do, what because if I and so we we create these we have a law, right? Whatever the precepts are of Christianity, and so we follow a law, and if we break that law, because what happens in 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 Eastern in Western thinking, right? If a law is broken, guess what? There's a consequence. And the consequence is imprisonment or corporate punishment, not corporal, but corporate punishment. This is how Westerners think. This is how we've been taught. This is how we function. This is how we operate. We live in a, um, you know, a cost reward system. That's the world we live in. That is not the world they lived in. And so now we make our entire doctrines around laws. So now it's about legality. Now, even for those who are quote unquote gospel centric, and I hope I don't offend anybody here for those who are gospel centric, even our gospel theology can be, I would call it anti-legalistic. Let me explain what I mean by that. I'm sorry. I hope my boys can hang with me on this. <laughs> um, but we makes we make a lot of our doctrine anti-legalistic, and I'm explaining to you what I mean. You have the legalistic people who they believe that Christianity is somehow your ability to follow laws. So being a good Christian is about which laws you follow, which laws you don't follow, which laws you obey, which laws you don't obey, which ones am I supposed to do? Which ones do I not do? If I do all these laws, then I get to go to heaven. If I don't do all these laws or if I disobey these laws and I don't do them well, then I go to hell. So now it's either heaven or hell. So we put pressure on people like we just use and superimpose that verse, be sure your sin will find you out. Meaning just because you didn't get caught don't mean you won't pay the price so we create this cost-benefit type of Christianity. Now, then there are those who you would say have a gospel-centric perspective where you go, they freed me from that. Here's the problem. The gospel, even even some of those theologies, if it's anti-legalistic, it still falls short because anti-legalism is also not the gospel. Let me explain to you what I mean by that. We have a way where we can say, well, no, because Jesus Christ has paid the price for me, right? Because Jesus Christ paid the price for my sins. Then now I'm not guilty. That is absolutely true. You are not guilty by the blood and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's absolutely true. But the gospel is so much more than you not being guilty. The gospel is so much more than you finding and ac- finding access to heaven through the blood of Jesus Christ. The gospel is more than just, oh, so I'm not guilty, and so now we have this this this, this gospel centric expression that's. That's gospel-centric, but anti-legalism. And if it's anti-legalism, guess what anti-legalism is? It's still legalistic because your entire doctrine and your theology is built around Western thinking again. It's built around the law. It's built around, and so we, and so then, and because, our gospel. I'm sorry if I'm ranting, I'm ranting, but I just felt I needed to say that. And because our gospel doctrine is anti-legalistic, even when we teach grace, we don't experience transformation. So the blood of Jesus Christ played for my sins. I've been delivered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus has saved me. Now I'm not guilty. Because Christ has paid the price. I'm justified. I'm justified by the grace of God. So we use all this language, but then we go, but then why am I still? Why don't I still feel complete in him? Why Why do I feel like there's still something that's not connecting? Why? I hear what you're saying, and I actually believe that. But why is it not connecting? It's not connecting because justification is, is so much more than God declaring you not guilty. You know, all this talk of justification, guilty, not guilty, and we're not guilty in Christ. And we're, we're, you know, all that way, that talk and that way of thinking would be so foreign to the early church. The early church would be absolutely confused by what you're talking about. What do you mean by by guilty, not guilty? What do you mean by, I don't, explain to me what you mean by that. Paul brought that, when you read Romans, there's a reason why Romans is called Romans. I'm I'm full-blown ranting, I need to get back to this text. There's a reason why Romans is called Romans. Romans was written to the church in Rome. Rome is the pantheon, pinnacle of western thinking our legal systems everything came from rome from greco-roman thinking the the catholic church is is essentially pagan romanism (laughs) pagan greco-roman culture boxing christianity that's what the, the, the the roman catholic church is It's putting Christianity in a really tiny box of Roman culture and Roman paganism, okay? So if you guys understand that, right? That Romans was written to a people who thought that way and the same ideology that they had is what we have, but the Hebrews never had that ideology. That's why the book of Hebrews, reads differently and that's why the book of Hebrews is is very difficult for a lot of people to read because they're still trying to read it through their legal minds you know for many of us even though we know that we've been delivered and freed by the blood of Jesus Christ we fall we're still we're still fundamentally fundamentally short of what God wants for us correct Hebrews is on the priesthood exactly it's exactly right Hadassah Hebrews is about the priesthood. Hebrews is about an identity. Hebrews is about what was accomplished. Hebrews is about the fulfillment of Christ as to what we read here in the text. And most people lose it because it's good enough that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I just need Jesus to die for my sins. I need to know that I'm not in trouble with God. For most people that's where they are. I need to know that I'm not in trouble. But God doesn't want you to simply know that you're not in trouble. God wants you to discover who you are in him. So when we read through this and we're reading through we're reading through the book of Numbers, we're seeing the story of the priests a nation of priests, the Hebrew people, the Hebrew Israelites, a nation of priests. And this is a story of how they, this is a story of actually a people. You understand? That's why we can't read it like a law. It was never a law. It was simply a story about what God has accomplished through a nation of people. For all humanity, in all mankind, and the pinnacle, the, the the climax of the accomplishment is Jesus Christ. So, if you if it's legalism, it's not Christ, but anti-legalism is not Christ either. Like, am understanding what I'm saying now? <laughs> if it's legalism, it's not Christ. If it's anti-legalism, it's not Christ either. This was never about the rules. (laughs) It was never about the rules. And yet we grew up in churches where it was about the rules. It was about what we do and don't do. It was about all of that, but it was never about an identity. It was never about that. It was never about a new identity, So if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become brand new. It wasn't modify your behavior so that you can fulfill the identity of being a Christian. It wasn't modify and comply. It was literally to die to your old self and to rise to the new self. It was a new identity. I just ranted and and so for those of you who are reading I want to leave you with one thought and then I want to spend a few moments in prayer. In Numbers, we read Numbers 34 so we finished the book of Numbers today, tomorrow we get to start family, tomorrow we get to start Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, the law again. And I want you guys, as you're reading now, when you read Deuteronomy with me, I want you guys to now read with the right perspective. This is actually not a law written to me. This is a law written to the people who God chose to bring righteousness and justice to the world. Not tomorrow, sorry, you're right. Monday, Monday, thank you, Monday. The 10 commandments was not written to you. These are not laws written to me. They were written to the chosen people and, and, and they were written for me to reveal the character of God, that I, that the Lord will transform in me, that I will embody. Okay. So what did we read today? These children now. So I want to give you a quick overview here. Story of family of a people, Genesis, sin came into the world. Death, pestilence, division, divisiveness, wars, disease, all that came as a result of sin. God called Abraham. Abraham, we're going to still have it on Monday. It's not a problem. God called Abraham. Abraham would be the father of many nations. God said through his family, That they would seek justice that they would do righteousness that they would be the family that would bring restoration to all mankind he would be the father of many nations abraham begets isaac isaac begets jacob jacob's name is changed to israel israel has 12 sons genesis ends with the 12 sons and their family extended family going to egypt Egypt, uh, exodus now opens with them in egypt in captivity after spending centuries in Egypt, becoming a nation of people. Now this family became a nation. Moses was called to pull those people out of Egypt, out of captivity. They leave Egypt. They go to a mountain called Mount Sinai. And now at Mount Sinai, God reinstitutes the calling that he gave Abraham to these people because the promises of God are not void. God made his promise that he would restore all humanity through Abraham and the children of Israel now who are the children of Abraham are not at Mount Sinai. They make a covenant with God to be the nation of priests. The nation of priests that would bring righteousness and justice in the world and to show the world what God was like. God said, if you're going to choose to do that, sign this in blood. They signed the covenant with God in blood. Notice we're not in the story yet. It's not about us yet. They signed the covenant with God in blood. Upon signing that covenant with God in blood, God then gave them the law. The law was intended to shape them into becoming the people that they were called to be. The law was intended to set them aside and to make them distinct from the rest of the world as they bring the presence of God to earth. Does everybody hear me? And so now these children say, yes, we're going to do it. We will obey the law. But quickly, by the end of Exodus, we realize that while the law was given to them, they were not capable of, of, of adhering to the law and because they were not incapable capable of adhering to the law they had the law but they did not have the presence of god revealing that the law did not bring us to the presence of god revealing that the law will never bring anyone into the presence of god the law cannot give anyone access to the presence of god because exodus proves to us that the law was not good enough to bring the children of Israel into the presence of God. The book of Leviticus opens up with Moses not being able to enter into the tabernacle because of the sins of the people. So Leviticus now is a book about how God gives an unholy and unrighteous people access back into the presence of God. He institutes the law of the atonement where a priest would give a sacrifice and through the sacrifice of blood, People who were unholy and people who were unrighteous were given access now back into the presence of God. So Leviticus was all about that. It was about the economy of the atonement, how these people now can have access back into the presence of God because they made a commitment to God and said to God, we will not leave Mount Sinai unless your presence go with us. God said, my presence will go with you. But in order for God to be present, in order for a holy and righteous God to be present, among an unholy unrighteous people there had to be a sacrifice and there needed to be a priest to administer the sacrifice this is what this is what Leviticus is all about notice Leviticus was not to you it was for your edification but all the laws and things you see in Leviticus was actually an institution of a law that would give an unholy unrighteous people access back into the presence of God now Leviticus ends with them in the presence of God and finally they can now get up and leave. The book of Numbers opens up with them calling a census because now they're finally ready to leave Mount Sinai. They started making the they started at, at in um in Exodus with the covenant at Mount Sinai, but they left at the end of Leviticus because now they have the presence of God through the law of the atonement that was given to them in the book of Leviticus. Now they get up and leave as they get up and leave every tribe now had an army they all camped in armies and so they left as an army to go into the land that was promised to them of course when they moved they began to complain and bicker and as they complained and bicker division was caused among them and it was because of the lack of faith of one generation that the lord said they will remain there 40 years for the next generation to go into the land that was promised to them. We get now to the end of Numbers, when finally they're going into the land that was promised to them. This land that was promised to them was now finally coming into fruition. And now we get to Numbers 34. In Numbers 34, God is telling them what the boundaries of the land look like. As we read Numbers chapter 34, we see now how this land would be bound, what the boundaries of this land are and how this land would be divided. And in it, he also gave what he called cities of refuge. These cities of refuge would be administered by the Levites. The Levites were the only tribe that did not have land. They had what was called common land and in common land, it was a place of refuge, both spiritual refuge and political refuge. And so and so they, they're establishing a legal system, not the law, because the law and a legal system are two different things. That's another conversation for another day. The law is a system by which we're all confined by a legal system is a set of rules that must be followed. And now they begin to establish a legal system to undergird the law. And so this legal system is being established and as this legal system is being established, there are what we, what he called cities of refuge, places where murderers can go or manslaughterers can go to, to, as a place of refuge to await their time of trial. Then we see further, uh, we see further development of this legal system about how inheritances are distributed. That's numbers 36. I don't have time to really break all of it down. I'm just giving you the picture. And now we close in deuteronomy. When we start on Monday, we when we start on Monday, we are going to open now with the people crossing the Jordan and entering into the land that was promised to them. And this is our journey up to that point. This is how we read the Pentateuch. Did you guys hear me? This is how we read the Pentateuch. This is the story of how God is guiding the people he called to fulfill the calling of bringing restoration to all humanity. And yet it won't be through them, but it will be through their posterity. And the way the story ends, family, as we continue to read, is we're going to read and then we're going to get to uh, uh, Deuteronomy. Then we're going to get to Joshua. And it's going to tell us about all the conquests. And then we're going to get into Judges and Judges. You're going to see these people continually fail and fail and fail and fall into captivity because they continue to fail because they wouldn't be the people that God called them to be Ruth. And we go through all these books and it ends, but God's promise never returns to him void because it is actually through the Hebrews that a Hebrew Israelite comes who becomes the Hebrew that the Hebrews could not be who becomes the Israelite that the Israelites could not be to execute the justice and the kingdom of God that they could not and he fulfilled that and he accomplished that and he suspended all the law And how he suspended all the law was, is that he became the priest. And he became the sacrifice that would pay for the sins of all mankind and all humanity. And it's actually through him that the righteousness of God has been brought on earth. And it's through him that justice has been restored. It is the Hebrew, notice, it's a story that culminates at a Hebrew man. And his Hebrew name, his name is Yeshua HaMashiach. His name is Jesus. We call him Jesus. He accomplished on the cross the payment for all mankind, becoming the blood sacrifice for all humanity. He was the perfect priest and he was the perfect sacrifice. Notice it was never about the rules. It was always about what God was doing. (laughs) It was always about what God was accomplishing. And God now accomplishes it through Jesus Christ. And Jesus now is the mediator. Jesus now is the priest. Jesus now is the one that stands between us and God. And now we have access to God through Yeshua HaMashiach, through Jesus. It was never about rules and about heaven, whether I'm going to heaven or hell. It was about so much more than that. It was about experiencing the salvation of God now and seeing the kingdom of god come to fruition on earth jesus was all about his kingdom and god was all about his kingdom from the beginning And this nation of priests who could not be the nation of priests that god called them to be a priest did what they could not and by faith in him these people became the nation of priests people from all around the world, from every race, every ethnicity. How do we know that? Because in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, he says, you are the chosen generation. You are the royal priesthood. You are the nation of priests, not now by blood, as Paul says. It's not by the seed of Abraham, but now by the seed of faith, that our faith now allows us to be the nation of priests to show the world now what the kingdom of God looks like. The kingdom of God is within us. The kingdom of God is in us. The kingdom of God, (laughs) the kingdom, the kingdom. And notice what the kingdom of God looks like. The kingdom of God doesn't look like Republican governments democratic governments. The kingdom of God isn't high rises, wealth and money. That's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is about sacrifice, love, the embodiment of Jesus himself. The kingdom of God was not about politics. But the kingdom of God was about the restoration of all mankind. Let's say something that's going to sound really, 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 really controversial. God doesn't care about your governments in the way you think he does. God is about establishing his kingdom. And from the beginning, God wanted his kingdom on earth. God told Adam, I'm ranting, but let me just say it real quick. God told Adam, be fruitful and multiply. He said to Adam, Fill the earth and subdue it. He said, be my representative on earth and bring the kingdom of God through the whole earth. Bring Eden all over the earth. Eden was in one location and God is saying, bring it to the rest of the location, multiply for wherever you are, I am. He wanted to bring Eden to all the earth Eden was not governments, it was not institutions, it was not finances, it was not financial. It was service, sacrifice, love, stewarding of the earth that the Lord has given us. And yet that is the business that God is in. In Revelations, what it tells us is, Revelation says, He said, I saw the 144,000, I heard the 144,000, but the verse right after it said, but I saw a multitude of people of all nation and all creed and all tongue who represented the army of God. I'm going to get to that scripture because there's some people here who somehow think, there's some people here who somehow believe that the kingdom of God is for a specific race or a specific person, Christ did away with that. It started with a person because it was the promise of God, but it did not end with a person. It ended with all people in a person In revelations chapter 14. And I'm done because I just feel the spirit of the Lord leading me there. But in revelations chapter 14, we see a census, the same census we saw in numbers of an army that was going into the promised land. And he said, and he said, then I looked and a lamb was standing on Mount Zion and with him 144,000 having his father's name written on their foreheads. Hmm. And I heard a voice from heaven Like a voice of the waters Like the voice of a loud thunder I heard the sound of trumpets Playing like harps They sang as it were A new song on the throne Behold the four living creatures And the elders This was heaven now Look at that The image of heaven Coming on earth Who were the 144,000? Because the scriptures We like to look at the scriptures And believe that the 144,000 Were exactly a number 144 Not realizing that he explains Who the 144,000 were It says Um, That they sang a a new song before the throne before the four living creatures and the elders and no one could learn that song Except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. These were the ones who were not defiled with women. Okay, hold on Let me go down Hold on. Let me go down Whoops Revelation and so they le- he leaves you in that tension about the 144,000 who are the 144,000, where did these 144,000 come from? And in Revelation, go to Revelations chapter 13, whoops, whoops, whoops. I want to leave with that. And I want to close with that. Is this helpful guys? are you is this is this helpful because i you know um there are so many just things that have been taught um in just out of context and because we don't read the whole scripture in its totality we lose we lose the image. We lose the the whole story. We lose the whole narrative of what God is doing. And I hope I am hoping that this is helpful to to someone here. Um, who are the 144,000? Okay. Um. Uh, hold on. Go to Revelation 7. Sorry, I said Revelation 13. The 144,000. Who were the 144? He says in verse 4, Revelation 7, verse 4. And I'm I'm stopping here because I could go all day. In Revelation 7 verse 4 he said And I heard the number of those who were sealed 144,000 of the tribes of the children of Israel And then he talks about the tribe Notice what he says He said I heard the number of those who were sealed But then notice what it says in the verse right after In verse 9 He said I heard 144,000 But then in verse 9 he says And after these things I look what I heard was not what I saw. I heard 144,000. But he says, after these things, verse nine, I looked and behold a great multitude, which no one could number of all nations, tribes, people, and tongues, Standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed with white robes and with palm branches on their hands He said I heard 144,000 But what I saw was a multitude of people that no one could count Who came from all nations and all tongues and all tribes All peoples This was what God was doing from the beginning. And when you don't read the Bible through the whole biblical story, you will get lost in the sauce. Uh, Revelations chapter 7. Revelations chapter 7. So for those who say, well, are you among the 144,000? And this and this and that. Just say, yeah, he heard 144,000. But notice what his prophetic vision showed him. What he heard was his culture. What he heard was the law. What he heard was the book of numbers, but what he saw was all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed with white robes and palm branches. This is why we read the whole Bible. This is how we don't fall into false teaching. This is how we don't fall into um, false narratives. This is how we don't fall into fa- false doctrines. This is how we don't fall into things that really we have to ask ourselves: Are we really feeding our 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 egos? Are we are we feeding our egos, or are we submitting to the authority of Christ. I want you to see the work that Jesus is doing, and this is why I want you to read the Word. Father, I ask in this time, Lord, that you would journey with us in the Scripture, Father, that you would continue to reveal Lord, your heart, your person, in your Scripture, Father. I just ask that you would Lead us, Father, Lord. If there's anything? We do not want to be led astray. Um, don't let our egos get in the way. Don't let our limited knowledge—we're all so limited, Father—in our—in our knowledge. Lord, you said your ways are above our ways. You said your thoughts are above our thoughts. You say that your mysteries belong to you, and yet there's so many things that we read that. Even till this day are mysterious, but the things that are so clear to us, the things that are so clear in your word, Father, make them evident to us, Father. Mm. Make simple the wise, make wise the simple. Father, bless each and every person who's here. And Father, I pray that your spirit would move through them as now we move into the book of Deuteronomy. Just journey, Father, with us, Lord. Lead us, guide us, attune our hearts to your will. And we ask that in your name we pray. Amen and amen. Um, God bless you guys. I, I hope this was an encouragement. I want to take some time to pray for you guys. Um, I, have, I, have, I have a little bit of time uh, to pray for you, and I, and I want to do that as well. Um, I'm so glad to get the IG fam here. Yes, man. Uh, Jezreel, I am Ryan. I am on IG now, man. Um, it's new. So it's a whole new group. I just started. So I have about 300 people right now on TikTok. Um, and I said, you know what? Let me put my Facebook group in. And so I have my Facebook family on here. And now I have my IG family. How many people I got here? I got 28 already. I mean, that's that's awesome. I got 28 people on IG. Uh, so if anybody doesn't have TikTok, for those of you who are on TikTok, is there anybody who doesn't have TikTok? and wants to um you know wants to connect i'm here every weekday i just and my desire is to empower you my desire is to empower you with the word all oh, right you everywhere you're over on facebook too oh my goodness you're all over the place man it's good to see you brother love that guy good to see you um um and guys just so you know um I, you know, I'm going to continue to pray against the spirit of distraction. I know there are people on here who, who are here simply to distract, Um, and and you know, I have to, you know, at times I address it, at times I don't. And again, I'm not here to, uh, you know, I'm not here to force you to uh, to agree with me at all, okay? But I do ask that you that you be respectful. But I also want to say this as well. There are people, and that's why you have to learn to discern the spirits. That's why you have to pray for the discernment of the spirits. You need to learn to discern the spirits because there are also people here who they genuinely don't under they don't know. Okay, so there are people you have to give room that they don't know and they've been working through it. Okay? They're trying to work through some things. And I and this is what I hear even for those who are on here, there's some people, there's some people here who you're hearing their anger, but it's really coming out of pain. Um, You're hearing their anger, but it's really coming out of the abuse of the church. Because there's some people, if they would tell you what the church has done to them. What the church has done to them. And so you need to leave room for people like that. And this is why we need to discern the spirit because there are those who the church fell short. And there are those who are here who the church abused. There are those who are here who have connected a lot of their pain points in their life to the church. So when they come and they respond a certain way about the scripture and about Bible, they have a reason because the Bible was used to oppress them. Uh, this is what I'm I'm hearing from God as I'm, as I'm spending some time in prayer for those who are here. I do feel a pull today to pray for those who, um, your resistance is actually not because you don't have faith. Your resistance is you don't know how to reconcile your faith with your pain. I want to spend some time in prayer for you right now. There are some people who are here who you've gone through a rabbit hole of Attempting to justify your pain by simply doing away with the word. Because how can the word be God's word if the word was used to oppress you? How can the word be God's word if the word was used to hurt you? How can a man of God be a man of God when he did what he did to you? How can a woman of God be a woman of God if she did what she did to you? There's a lot of people here who your anxiety is actually rooted. I'm going to call it, there's anxiety and then there's a spiritual anxiety. There's people here right here in this chat. Right now, who are wrestling, wrestling with what I would call a spiritual dissonance. And it's birthing out as anxiety. And I'm explaining to you what I mean by that. The spiritual dissonance is is that you, you had a visceral encounter with God, a deeply spiritual encounter. But what came out of your encounter was pain and suffering. Once you had that encounter, you now are struggling with how can this be God if I've gone through this much pain? How can it be God? There's some people here who know exactly what I'm talking about. I want to I want to minister to you. I want to minister to you and I want to pray for you because there's some people here you've wanted to get off of this for a minute, but there's a reason why you're still here. And the reason why you're still here is because there's still a voice in you that doesn't want to let go. If there's one thing that you cannot do, you cannot unexperience God. You can't unexperience an experience. You can't unexperience an encounter. And for many of you, you cannot, you're just, you're having a hard time reconciling this spiritual experience with the pain that you've encountered. And so the way that you're coping with that is to be resistant and to have anger towards anything that is related to the scripture itself. There's church hurt and then there's church hurt. For some of you, you know what church hurt is. Okay? There are things that you've experienced behind closed doors, things that you've experienced in the dark, things that you've experienced and now it's 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 affected every dimension of your life. I get it. I get it. And you're hurt. You're profoundly hurt. Not the church hurt where, you know, man, somebody talked about me or somebody gossiped on me, somebody lied on me. That can hurt too. That's not to say that that can't hurt. But I'm talking about the kind of hurt that 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 sends you into atheism. Mm-hmm. The kind of hurt that sends you into God hate and Jesus hate and Bible hate. How can you hate a God you don't believe exists? How can you hate a God that you're adamant doesn't exist? How can you hate a God who you say is not has anything to do with what's going on in the world? How can you hate a God who you say is not even involved in what we do? Or is it that you hate what's happened to you? You hate how it's affected your family. You hate what it did to your mother. You hate what it did to your father. Family, there's people here who the reason why they're coming with the kind of smoke that they're coming with. It's because they're hurt and we need to give them grace. Because you don't know their story. You don't know what they've been through. Some people, the church brought them to drug addiction. It was a church that brought them to perpetual anxiety and sleeplessness. The church brought them to near suicide. If that's you and you've you've just been, you're, you're in a faith struggle. If you're in a faith struggle right now, I want you to put your hand emoji. I just want to pray for you. And I want those who are here just to pray. Listen, maybe you don't know where you are in your faith, but you know, man, I'm, I'm just, I'm struggling with this stuff. I don't know where I'm at. I don't know where I'm at. I don't even know why I'm here. I don't even know I'm on this live. If that's you, I want you to put your hand, I want you to put a hand emoji up. Just put it up. God bless you, Josh. God bless you, Yellow. God bless you, made for his praise. God bless you guys. Just put your hand up. Just put a hand emoji, I wanna pray for you. I don't know, I've just been burdened all morning to pray for people who have been profoundly hurt. But you can't unexperience what you've experienced. Thank you, Chrissy. One, two, three, reckless. I'm praying for you. DJ, I'm praying for you. There's freedom in this. There's freedom in just admitting, man, I don't know where I'm at with my faith. I'm hurt. I don't know where I'm at with my faith because I'm hurt. I'm mad at God and I'm mad at the Bible and I'm mad at all this stuff because I'm hurt. God wants to heal you. He wants to heal you. Um, I said something yesterday that I will say here, but I said something yesterday um, that I know it might be hard for you to hear this, but after I pray for you, um, there's something that I want to convict you of as well. It's a lot of the reasons why we've been so hurt is because we never disciplined ourselves. To actually read this Bible for ourselves, and and so we trusted people. Yeah, we don't trust in kings or princes. So there are some people right here who, you are you are a publicly professed atheist. You're an atheist, but your atheism started in your pain. Your atheism came from an unanswered prayer. Your atheism came from abuse in your church, in the church that you grew up in. I see the hands and I'm gonna pray for these people. You see all these people. For those of you who are here, begin to just pray for for for, for some of these folks. Because I'm gonna pray for some of you guys as well. I don't know, but I feel an overwhelming burden to pray. I don't know who this is, who I'm praying for, but I feel an overwhelming burden for, I think it's a young lady actually here. There's a a burden that I have for a young lady who uh, grew up in an abusive relationship, grew up in an abusive home. And the abuser was a leader in the church. And this is what I'm hearing, but I'm hearing that. Um, yeah, Josh, so Josh, let me just pause real quick. Josh, you can't be atheist. I'm gonna tell you why, because you're having encounters with God now. Um, you're experiencing anxiety attacks and it's because of the resistance that you have of really just letting go and receiving the Holy Spirit. Uh, but Josh, you're, you're actually experiencing him. That's why you can't be, but you're still wrestling with faith and that's okay. Um, I'm sorry if I, I just want to spend a little bit of time just prophetically praying for, for you guys, if that's okay. But there's somebody here that I'm praying for who, um, the head of the home was a faith leader and he was abusive. Oh. He was abusive. And I don't need to get into the details of it, but uh, very abusive. And I saw you going to someone for help in the church, and you went to someone for help in the church. I hope you're here, because I see. I hope you're still here. But I was seeing it as I was spending time and meditating. But as you were, as you went to someone for help in the church, in the end, uh, it not only split your home, but uh, your your whole family got kicked out of the church. So the church wasn't a place of refuge for you, but rather, uh, the church was a place of judgment. Is that you, Lynn? I want to pray for you, Lynn. I just see that, that, that I've seen families split and then removed from the church as a result of accountability. (sighs) Father, I ask right now, Lord, that you would bring Healing to Lynn. Mm. Father, I ask that you would meet Lynn in her present state of crisis. Lynn. Faith is a very funny thing. It's a very weird thing. It's a very peculiar thing. Um, and the reason why it, it is is because sometimes you need to your 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 spirit, your soul, the emotion of it all uh, is hard to to reconcile when you're in times of of crisis. Um, my adopted parents tortured me, my mother. Yeah, um, it leads you to a place of of crisis because. You, you don't know how you can love a God that can let you and allow you to go through those experiences. Why would a God meet you there? Well, or would a God allow you to go through that? Father, I just ask right now, Lord, that you would uh, bring comfort to Lynn. Lord, you said in your word that you are near, near the brokenhearted, and I just pray right now that you would, Lord, overwhelm Lynn with your presence again. I pray, Lord, that you would give an opportunity for a reset, a rediscovery. For a rediscovery, Father, I ask, Lord, that you would heal her soul. Heal her soul. Heal her soul. Father, I pray for the pool of your Holy Spirit, and I pray that you would pour it out upon her. And I just ask, so that you would just heal every dimension of her life. Lord, I pray that you would give her the ability, Lord, to release it all to you and to trust you in totality with everything and all that she is. Lord, that she would be not only restored in you, but that you would give her a testimony. I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in this chat today. I thank you for what you're doing in this life. Father, I thank you that you are speaking, even as we read, Father, Lord, that you are healing those who are desperately in need of a soul care. There are those who are here, Father, who have been profoundly hurt and offended and, and been profoundly broken by the church. There are those who have been kicked out because of a mistake. There are those who have been abused and kicked out for the abuse. There are those who are here who have been manipulated. There are families here that have been separated because of the evil of those who said that they represented your name. Father, I pray right now that you would divide their mind. Hmm. Father, you said that your word discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You said that your word is the divider of soul and spirit. So Father, I pray right now that you would divide soul and spirit. For each and every person who's hearing the sound of my voice, Father, I ask right now that you would divide soul and spirit. Father, I pray that you would divide all those negative experiences from the character of who you are. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would cause a division to happen, Lord, that they'd be able to discern, Lord God, that there are people, Lord, who who said your name but did not represent you well. That There are people who uttered your name but did not represent you. They were, as you said in your scriptures, wolves and sheep's clothing. So, Father, I proclaim right now in the name of Jesus. I proclaim healing over their life. I proclaim breakthrough. I proclaim today, Father, Lord, that there'd be a renewal, Father, a reset. I proclaim a reset in the name of Jesus for each and every person who raised their hand, Father. I ask right now that you would, Lord, intercept their mind. I pray, Lord, that you would visit them once more. Hmm. That they be reinvited on a clean slate to know you, not to know corrupted men and women of God, but to know you, Father. I pray that they would hear your invitation today. Hmm. But I'm believing in you already, Lord, for for souls being transformed. I thank you for what you're doing, Father. Thank you for what you're continuing to do. Bless us, Lord, as we continue to navigate in this season. And and I ask that in your name we pray. Amen.